everyone. Hi. Happy Monday. This is, so next Monday is the last Monday of chapel before finals. So, yay. Anyways, um, I am, my name is Hannah, and I am one of the leaders of the campus ministry called Streetlight. And I am here to tell you about an event that we are doing this coming Saturday, December 8th. We will be Christmas caroling, and for this event, we will go to the impoverished community in Minneapolis and spread some joy and the love of Jesus to some people. Um, so if you're interested, we will be meeting in the stud at 2 and then getting back at 4 in time, plenty of time for Christmas at Northwestern. So um, real quick, if you're interested, there, we just ask that you sign up uh, for transportation. Um, so there's several different ways to sign up. One is find one of our posters around campus. They're blue, and they say Christmas caroling. And so if you're interested, scan the QR code there, or you can um, type in the link at the bottom. Also, you can find our Streetlight um, page on Facebook and find the event there and sign up that way. So if you're interested, again, it's this Saturday from 2 to 4. Um, one last thing. Streetlight's looking for some leaders in the spring um, because some of us are graduating in December. So if you're interested in that, um, we don't, all we require is that you are passionate about ministry and we don't, we don't ask, we just ask that you're passionate about ministry and want to help. So that's all. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Some of you guys are wondering what that slide on the screen is about. How many of you have seen that movie? Right? All right? Well, here's good news for you guys if you like that movie. Buddy will be in the Billy next week from Career Development. So if you're wanting to meet Buddy, then go to the Billy next week. There will be amazing prizes, games, and hot cocoa. Hey, guys. Amazing prizes, games, and hot cocoa from 10.30 to 3.30 in the first floor of the Billy, all right? This is something really important for you guys to know too, is that Career Development will be hosting a photographer to give you guys headshots for your LinkedIn and Handshake profile. So if any of you guys are getting serious about going into the business world, they will be providing that to you guys for free. So not only do you guys get to meet Buddy, get hot cocoa, get awesome prizes, but also headshots for you know, business world when you're ready for that. Um, also, so wear your nice shirt under your ugly sweater, all right? That's what I've got for you for from career development. Thanks, guys. Hi, guys. My name is Brianna, and uh, I'm here to talk about Dress Sember. So I don't know if any of you guys have heard of it, but it's a fundraiser. Oh, thank you, guys. <laughs> it's a fundraiser um, to fight against human trafficking around the world. Um, so basically you can participate, girls you can participate by wearing dresses, guys you can participate by wearing ties. So if you want to sign up to like uh, say what day you're going to like wear a dress or a tie, there's a sign up page on the Writing in the Sand Instagram page. And uh, you can also find it with the Sustainability Initiative and also Women in Leadership because we're all kind of partnering together on this event. Um, and there's going to be some other events coming up, too. There's going to be a movie night of the movie Priceless uh, that has uh, Joel Smallbone from For King and Country in it. Um, 
And so that one's about human trafficking. So that's going to be on Monday, December 10th. But you'll hear more about that next Monday. And then there's also going to be an alternative chapel, alternative chapel talking about uh, fair trade next, uh, I believe it's December 13th. So yeah, keep your eye out for that. And if you're interested in participating, you can look at any of our social media pages and find the information there. So thank you, guys. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome back for a new week. Uh, we are in the Advent season, so it is full-blown Christmas time. Uh, snow's on, on the ground, and uh, hopefully you guys are all listening to Christmas music, right? Even though I've been doing it for uh, months now. But um, this week, um, we are, are entering into a series uh, called Awestruck by Advent. Um, so we have a great week ahead of us. Let me give you a brief overview and then introduce uh, this morning's speaker. So today we have uh, Dr. Colin Nichol, um, who I'll be mentioning more in a moment. Tomorrow, uh, we have a, 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 one of your very own students, so Austin Hill, who's going to be speaking. Um, Wednesday, uh, we have Pastor Katie Sanders, who's a, who's a pastor here in, the, in uh, Minneapolis at a church. Thursday, prayer chapel, and Friday, uh, praise chapel at Christmas at Northwestern. So uh, really, really excited uh, about this week. Two weeks left of chapel until uh, the end of the semester and finals. And so, um, so without further ado, uh, I, I want to introduce Dr. Colin Nickel, who hails from Northern Ireland, and he has been touring around the Midwest in recent days, uh, speaking at different churches, colleges, and universities, and we're really blessing for the time and the providence to have him here. Uh, a few years ago, he wrote a book called The Great Christ Comet, uh, looking at the wonder and the mystery and the highly debated topic of what was that star of Bethlehem that drew the wise men to worship Jesus. And he does a masterful job of blending theology and astronomy, all while being faithful to the biblical text. And so um, he wrote this book. You can, uh, it's, 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 it's a heavy, it's a beast of a book, but there's tons of pictures in it too. And you're going to find that today as he speaks, there's going to be a lot of pictures, a lot of things coming up on the slide. So you want to stick with it and um, uh, really to have uh, our minds refreshed with the sense of awe and wonder um, over the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So would you please give a warm welcome, Northwestern welcome to Dr. Colin Nickel as he takes the stage. And would you place a handout over Colin as we pray for him and then a hand up as we pray for ourselves. Father in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for the coming of Christ into this world. As we look back, um, Lord, may our hearts be refreshed with a sense of awe and wonder. As we look around, Lord, thank you that we get to be here together to uh, encounter you with one another. And thank you for bringing Dr. Colin here. I pray that you'd fill him with your spirit, fill us with your spirit. And Lord, may we be instructed in your truth to be further transformed into your likeness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And before, actually, I turn it over to you, Colin, I forgot to mention, this afternoon, um, we have Coco in conversation with Colin in G210 at 315. Uh, chapel credit is offered, so if you want to come and if you hear something today and want to engage in conversation, uh, make sure to come back today in G210 in the Billy at 315, Coco in conversation with Colin. So. Thank you so much. It's good to be here and good to finally be at uh, Northwestern. Heard a lot about you over the years. This is my first time to visit. But you know what? I'm a little disappointed in you guys. I mean, 
I got hardly any cheer, but the guy that's speaking tomorrow, and he's one of yours, he got a big cheer. Come on, give me a cheer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. That makes me feel good. Okay. Let me just briefly pray. Lord Jesus, we do commit this time to your care. May you be honored in all that is said. In Jesus' name, amen. The well-known American author Mark Twain took great pleasure in highlighting that his birth in 1835 coincided with the appearance of Halley's Comet in the sky for the first time in 75 years. Commenting on this in 1880, he even predicted that he would die when Halley's Comet completed its orbit and was next visible in the sky in 1910. In his autobiography in 1909, he wrote the following. I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It's coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Halley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt, now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together, they must go out together. God apparently appreciated the humor because Mark Twain actually died at the very time that Halley's Comet was going around the sun. Anyway, the coincidence of celestial phenomena and leaders' births, coronations, and other key moments could be regarded as very significant in the ancient world. If a future king's birth or coronation was attended by a celestial sign, that could be regarded as a wonderful omen for their reign and setting them apart for greatness. Take, for example, one of the Roman Empire's most formidable enemies, Mithridates the Great, King of Pontus. In his propaganda, he made much of the fact that two comets had appeared, one at the time of his birth in 135 BC and one at the time of his coronation 15 years later. These, it was claimed, had heralded his greatness. In 44 BC, during the funeral games staged after the death of Julius Caesar, a tremendously bright comet was seen from Rome and it was regarded by many as a sign that Caesar had been accepted among the gods. And we're told that this comet was believed by the future emperor, Caesar Augustus, that it was a magnificent omen for his own personal career as Julius Caesar's chosen heir. In these cases, a real celestial phenomenon occurred at a birth, a coronation, or some other key moment, and it was perceived to be a wonderful portent. In our text, that we're going to be considering today, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be considering the star of Bethlehem. Today, the importance of the star is often overlooked. In fact, in one survey of Christians in England, half of those who were asked to summarize the story of Christmas failed even to mention the star. And in our culture, the star has largely been reduced to a kind of sentimental symbol of Christmas, highly romanticized. It, we like to see it above the Magi on our Christmas cards. But the star was much, much more than that for Matthew. For Matthew, it was an amazing phenomenon that demonstrated powerfully, unequivocally, and specifically that Jesus was the promised Messiah. 
The celestial events that attended the birth and death of Mark Twain, the birth and coronation of Mithridates, and the funeral games of Julius Caesar, they pale into insignificance compared to what happened at Jesus' birth. The Star of Bethlehem has been a focus of my research for the last decade or so, and my aim this morning is to introduce you, as for the first time, to the Star of Bethlehem. I want you to be drawn into the nativity story in a new way, taken aback by the awesome power of God as displayed in the heavens, and encouraged and strengthened in your faith in Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. First, I want us to consider the story of the star. Let's work our way through Matthew's account to discover what the star did to lead a group of astronomers and astrologers from their homeland in the east all the way hundreds of miles across to Judea, right to Jesus to worship him. Now I would say at the outset, most historians and biblical scholars are agreed that Jesus was born in six or five BC because Herod the Great died a year or two after that, early in four BC. So what Matthew recounts concerning the star occurred in those years from about eight to five BC. Now the first thing I want you to notice about the star from Matthew's account is that it appeared. Matthew tells us that when Herod met with the Magi, he was strangely eager to know when the star had first appeared. Now, if you're reading Matthew's account carefully, you'll realize that's weird. Because the Magi, when they come to Jerusalem, they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star at its rising and have come to worship him. The Magi had obviously found in the rising the key moment, the catalyst for their month-long journey to Judea. And evidently this rising had only occurred within the last couple of months. And the Magi obviously regarded the rising as coinciding with the birth of the Messiah. But Herod wants to allow the possibility that the Messiah's birth may have taken place before this, at the time of the star's first appearance, or indeed any time after that. Now we're informed that the Magi were able to tell Herod the precise date when the star had first appeared. And clearly they told him it had first appeared over a year previously. Because based on what they told him, Herod gave the order to kill male infants in Bethlehem, not only in their first year, but also in their second year. So this reveals that the star had originally been completely absent from the sky, and then on one particular point, on one particular day, it was first spotted by the Magi. The Magi made a record of their first observation. That was the star's first appearance. And what a wonderful moment that must have been. Back in July 1995, as Tom Bob, a factory manager from Glendale, Arizona, was out stargazing. And he tells of how he was doing, uh, he, as he was looking at galaxies, he was praising God at the wonders of his creation. But then he noticed at the edge of his telescope field of view a, a little dim, blurry glow. And he looked up his star atlas and couldn't find it. And as he observed it over the next hour or so, he noticed that the little blurry glow had moved. And at that point, he realized this was the first appearance of a comet. And being a committed Christian, he silently gave thanks to God. 
And when the Central Bureau that registers new asteroids and comets informed him that it was indeed the first sighting of a previously unknown comet, he danced around his kitchen, whooping and cheering in sheer ecstasy. And because he was the discoverer of the comet, uh, he found that it bore his name, which was Comet Hale Bopp, his last name. Needless to say, he followed that magnificent comet's progress over the following couple of years with considerable pride and joy as it wowed the whole world, becoming the most photographed and observed comet in history. How cool was that? Similarly, the Magi, as the star's discoverers and as good astronomers, were no doubt fascinated by the new entity that they observed, charting its course across the sky on a nightly basis for, for months. Now, the next major event I want you to notice in the star's story is the rising. We've already mentioned it. The, the Magi talk about it in verse 2. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Because we have seen his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now, this word rising is actually a technical astronomical term. It refers uh, to a planet or a star or a comet which has uh, been too close to the sun to be actually visible because the sun bleaches out the surrounding uh, sky. And then it re-emerges over the eastern horizon just before dawn. And that's called the rising. And that was, in the ancient world, the most important moment in uh, an astronomical body's career. So whatever breathtaking and extraordinary thing this star did, in connection with its rising, absolutely stunned the Magi. And it communicated a lot of information to them. And it prompted them to turn to Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah for answers, aided no doubt by Jewish neighbors living in the area. And the Magi came to a firm conclusion. This star was disclosing to them that something momentous was happening on earth. The Jewish Messiah had been born. And the star's announcement of the Messiah's birth was evidently so compelling that the Magi became 100% certain that hundreds of miles away in Judea, the Jewish Messiah was right then a newborn baby. And indeed, they decided to undertake a brutally long and exacting journey to find and worship him. And they bought expensive gifts for this newborn Messiah, gold, frankincense, and they're just revealing how highly they esteemed him. The next thing I want you to observe about the star is that as the Magi set out from Jerusalem after finding out from Herod that the Bethlehem was the location of the Messiah's birth, they were going the five or six mile journey southwards from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and the star was in the southern sky, appearing to go in front of them to Bethlehem, ushering them there. It must have been a tremendous encouragement to the Magi that in their extraordinary mission to find the newborn Messiah, that the very star that had caused them to embark on their mission was now present as they got closer and closer to the Holy Messiah himself. Nevertheless, when they got to Bethlehem, the, Messiah, the Magi faced the daunting task of locating the baby Messiah. But we read in Matthew that the star climaxed its display that night by, from the Magi's perspective, standing over one particular house 
in Bethlehem, pinpointing it as the location where the baby Messiah was with a precision greater than any GPS. The Magi knew that the baby Messiah was inside that house before they even entered. And when they went in, they fell down and worshiped before the baby king and they presented to him their gifts. So putting it all together, we can say that the star was originally absent from the sky, then it first appeared, and the bulk of a year later had a rising. And then a couple of months after that, it's in the southern sky, seeming to go before the Magi as they're going to Bethlehem. And then later that night, it's pinpointing the very house where the Messiah was. What a story this is, a dramatic, powerful, momentous story, unprecedented in the annals of human history. That's the story of the star. Now I want us to consider the significance of the star because Matthew makes it clear that the star did not evoke the same response from everyone. Neither did comet Hale-Bopp, incidentally, the great comet of 1997, which wowed the world for many months. For most people, it was little more than a curiosity in the sky, a little bit better than Halley's comet had been a decade before. But for one group, in, uh, on the March the 22nd, 23rd, 1997, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult, ranging from 26 to 72 years old, committed suicide in a bizarre attempt at beaming themselves up to a, an, an alien spacecraft they believed was tailing the comet. But for discoverer Tom Bob, the comet was a magnificent gift from God to him personally, which completely transformed his life. Not only did he quickly become famous across the world, but he was suddenly in such great demand on the lecture circuit, speaking about Hale-Bopp and comets generally, that he was actually able to quit his job. And the fact that it was the very first comet he had ever observed only intensified his ecstasy and wonder at the majestic comet. Similarly, the significance of the star of Bethlehem was perceived in different ways by different people. Take Herod the Great. The star had obviously been of no interest to him until the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, asking where the newborn Messiah was. To Herod, who we know believed in astrology, this was terrible news. And if you read the history of the period, you will know that all Herod cared about at this point in time was establishing the succession so that his dynasty would continue long into the future. Herod was not about to tolerate a rival, and he was not going to tolerate a major threat to his dynasty. And if we're paying attention, we can see that Herod quickly developed a two-pronged plan to murder the baby Messiah. Plan A was targeted assassination. It relied on Herod duping the Magi so that they returned to him after finding the Messiah and informed him of precisely where the newborn Messiah was. If for whatever reason they didn't return, plan B was the cruel slaughter of every male infant born from the date that the Magi said the star had first appeared. This double-pronged plan looked foolproof. What astonishing hard-heartedness is involved in trying effectively to take on God by killing his Messiah, even using information derived from God's prophets in God's word against God. 
even seeking to use information derived from the star announcing the Messiah against the Messiah, and even daring to commit a terrible atrocity against the infants of Bethlehem. But of course, Herod did not succeed because God intervened through a dream to warn the Magi not to return to Herod to give him the location of the child. That thwarted plan A. And then God intervened through another dream to urge Joseph to flee quickly to Egypt with Mary and Jesus, and that thwarted plan B. And not long afterward, we read that God uh, struck Herod down. This is in Josephus. Uh, God struck Herod down with a mind-bogglingly excruciating illness that ended up taking his life. Now, you might have thought the people of Jerusalem, the rabbis, that they would have responded better, but no. Surprisingly, it is the pagan astrologers from Babylon that are the only ones in the story to grasp the remarkable significance of the star. They evidently regarded the star as the most important astronomical phenomenon ever, as marking an incredibly momentous event in Earth's history, the birth of the divine Messiah, God himself in human flesh, the one prophesied in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, and the one destined to reign over the whole world. And their choice of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, recalled Old Testament oracles that looked forward to Gentile pilgrims coming to Judea to pay homage to the Messiah in a future age, from Isaiah chapter 60. And these magi clearly felt like forerunners of these future pilgrims, and they were eager to demonstrate their own willing submission to this awesome future king. Moreover, they were certain that through this star, God was speaking specifically to them, calling them to embark on an extremely long, difficult, and dangerous journey across a barren, rock-strewn desert, notorious for its bandits, in order to find and worship this newborn king. No doubt they faced derision and criticism for the radical decision to travel so far in search of a baby king based on observations of a star. And it required real faith and courage to gather the provisions, to arrange to hire camels and a guide, and set out for Judea. And of course, once they got to Jerusalem, they must have been troubled to learn that no one there knew where the baby Messiah was. And even when they discovered the time of the Messiah's birth, they still faced the specter of a needle in a haystack search through the entire Bethlehem area. But they persevered in faith that God would enable them to complete their divinely sanctioned mission. And as they set out from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, the star that had disclosed to them the fact and the timing of the Messiah's birth ushered them to Bethlehem and then awesomely pointed out the very house where the Messiah was, identifying Jesus as the Messiah. How powerfully had their decision to follow that star's guidance been vindicated? And so in ecstasy and joy, they fell down in awe and worship before baby Jesus and presented him with their gifts. The question Matthew would pose to each of us today is how will we respond to this star, this great celestial sign announcing the Messiah's birth? 
We must all make our choice. None of us can escape the, the star's powerful message. Will we respond like the Magi with faith and obedience, allowing the star to lead us to the feet of Jesus, the Messiah? Now we've looked at the amazing story of the star and the significance of the star, but since the star was celestial in nature, we must also consider the science of the star. What precisely was it? Well, the truth is Matthew gives us plenty of information about the star, more than enough for us to identify what it was. I want you to see first that Matthew gives us clear indications that the star was a real astronomical body. The Greek word for star indicates this. It can be used of a star, a planet, or a comet, or a meteor. And as we've already mentioned, the word rising implies that an astronomical body is in view. And that the Magi were record-keeping astronomers who know the precise date when the star first appeared confirms this. There's no basis for believing, in other words, that the star was anything other than a real astronomical phenomenon. That is God acting in his capacity as creator and Lord of the heavens and the earth had the heavens signal the dawn of salvation. So then, what is the star? What astronomical body matches the description of the star provided by Matthew? After appearing, it remains observable for over a year. It has a meaningful and dramatic rising in the eastern sky. And then within a couple of months, it's shining in the southern sky to guide the Magi to Bethlehem and then stands over a house later on that night to reveal the precise location of the Jewish Messiah. Well, needless to say, there have been various theories put forward to explain the star. The problem is that none of them come close to matching Matthew's account. Maybe you've seen the DV documentary presentation by Rick Larson, U.S. attorney. uh, uh, It it basically claims that the star was Jupiter in 3 to 2 BC uh, and Jupiter in its various conjunctions with Venus. What are we to make of that? Well, if you actually look into Larson's theory, as I have, you'll actually be astonished to discover that virtually every claim that he makes is is hollow. And what he says doesn't come close to matching Matthew's account. In fact, it was my frustration with his his, uh, explanation that led me to uh, spend years of my life trying to resolve this issue based upon what Matthew says. Jupiter, whose movements were entirely predictable in the first century, cannot have a first appearance. And in 3 to 2 BC, it didn't have a rising. And moreover, the vast majority of historians and biblical scholars will tell you Herod died not in 1 BC, but in 4 BC. So we can leave that view behind. A number of other people, including the previous pope, proposed that it was a super bright exploding star called the supernova that coincided with Jesus' birth. The problem is there are no relevant remnants of a supernova. There's no nebula from around that time. Besides, no fixed celestial body could pull off what the star did, and that is move rapidly across the sky from the eastern morning sky, which it's doing when it's rising, and then within a couple of months be in the southern evening sky. To cut a long story short, if you take Matthew's account seriously as I do, there is only one plausible candidate for the star of Bethlehem, and that is a comet. This is the only candidate that fits what Matthew says, what the church father Ignatius says, and the other Christians in the first couple of centuries wrote about the star, 
And Origen in the third century explicitly asserts that the star was a comet. But what, what are comets? Well, without going too much into it, comets are simply icy dirt balls or dirty snowballs, really, really dirty snowballs, that travel around the sun in very elongated oval orbits. And as they near the sun, their onboard chemicals react to the sun's presence and explode off fountains of dust, which forms a head and a tail. And this head and tail of dust catch the sun's light. And as a result, comets may become the largest, longest, and brightest bodies in the night sky. They can even outshine the full moon. For the ancients, comets were completely unpredictable. The time of their first appearance, their movements, their risings, their changes in size and form and brightness, all unpredictable. And interpreting what they meant involved considering what they looked like, because comets can have all kinds of forms, and the constellations in which they appeared and the timing of their appearance. They could be good or bad omens. So what's the evidence, briefly, that persuaded me that the star was a comet? Well, we can't go into all of it now, but let me just highlight a few of them. Only a comet can move from the eastern morning sky to the southern evening sky within a couple of months like the star does. Why? Well, because a comet is hurtling through the inner solar system very fast, and therefore it's moving within the starry host. Second, the sudden appearance of the star and its long visibility over a year that can only be explained if it's either a supernova, which we've already ruled out, or a great comet like Comet Hale-Bopp, which was visible to the naked eye for 18 months. Third, only a comet can do things that are surprising and extraordinary in connection with their risings. This is because comets that have notable risings, uh, some of the greatest comets in history, are making their closest pass by the sun at that point. And so they're reacting to the sun's presence and they're becoming bright, they're becoming big, they're becoming long. Other astronomical bodies have nothing special about their risings. They're all predictable and actually visually very unimpressive. And finally, for the moment, the very language of going before travelers and standing over a particular location, that very language is used in the ancient world of comets. Okay, let's say it's a comet, but which comet? Some astronomers have proposed maybe Halley's Comet in 12 BC, but that's way too early, and Halley's Comet wasn't even visible for two months. It never had a rising, and it never appeared in the southern sky. There's a Chinese record of a comet in 5 BC, but that didn't rise either, and it was only present for 70 days. So if it was a comet, then which comet was it? Well, one of the things that I discovered in my investigations of this topic is that the vast majority of astronomical records from the ancient world are lost to history. Two-thirds of the comets from the period 50 BC to 50 AD are lost to history. Those that we do have are of comets that were perceived to have some special significance, like the comet that appeared during Caesar's funeral games or the great year-long comet that looked like a sword hanging over Jerusalem that Josephus mentions was a bad omen running up to the destruction of Jerusalem. By the way, for Josephus' comet to be visible for a year means that it was very large, a large comet, and it was very like Heobah, and very similar to the Star of Bethlehem, of course. And yet, were it not for Josephus, we would have no record of that magnificent comet. 
And similarly, the star of Bethlehem is a, must have been a large comet whose momentous messianic significance prompted the early Christians to preserve its memory. Okay, so it's a great comet like Hale Bob, but there's one big question that we still have to ask, and it rarely is asked. What could the star have done to persuade the Magi to leave their homeland and cross a long stretch of inhospitable desert in search of the Jewish Messiah? Back in 2011, as it was dawning on me, the star had to be a comet. I became convinced that Revelation 12 held the key to this great mystery. There we find the nativity story, but told in astronomical terms. Portrayed as a sign playing out in the sky with the sun, the moon, the stars, the meteors, and the constellations, all actors. We see the constellation Virgo, the Virgin, playing the part of the Virgin Mary, pregnant, and then in labor and giving birth to the Messiah. And as someone who's done a lot of work in Revelation, I noted that the scholars and the commentators had a very hard time explaining why this nativity story was framed in such astronomical terms. And it dawned on me that there's only one plausible explanation. Revelation is revealing to us the very celestial sign that the Magi saw in the East and that persuaded them that the Messiah had been born. In other words, Revelation is informing us that what was happening on the earth, namely the birth of a special child to a virgin, was being broadcast on the celestial IMAX screen of the sky, with Virgo playing the part of the Virgin Mary. But what played the part of the baby? Through the course of 2011, as I did my research and collaborated with some of the world's foremost astronomers, it became clear to me that the only body that could play this part, the only astronomical body that could be the baby in that grand celestial drama described in Revelation 12 was a comet, not just any comet, but a large hail bop type comet going around the sun in the opposite direction to Earth. Only this kind of comet could cause the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin, to come alive in the way that John describes. And over the next year or two, and through a lot of hard work, I was able to determine a profile for the kind of comet that could have done this. And then was able to determine even an orbit based upon the data in Revelation, believe it or not, which means that you're able to see and recreate what that comet would have done, when and where, and what it would have looked like. And the big question is, after doing that, would a comet playing the part of the celestial virgin's baby have done what Matthew says the star did? Have an incredible rising in the east and then a couple of months later be setting in the west? And the answer is, unlike Halley's Comet and that 5 BC Chinese comet, yes. At its rising, it would, have appeared, it would have been large and brighter than the full moon. And that was when the baby first appeared in the virgin's womb and the nativity drama began to unfold. And as the Magi trekked toward Bethlehem on that final night, the comet would have been in the southern sky. And even on their way to Judea, it would have been in the, in the west in front of them. And as they looked for the child in Bethlehem, it would have set with its tail upright, becoming a giant pointer as it pinpointed one particular house from the Magi's perspective. Many have scoffed at Matthew's star, insisting that no astronomical body could have behaved like that. But it emerges that not only is it possible, it is historically verifiable. So what does all this mean? 
The most ridiculed part of the Gospels ends up fully vindicated, underlining Matthew's reliability as a historian. The star demonstrates for us in the 21st century that God is the creator and Lord of the universe, Lord of the heavens, the ultimate mathematician, scientist, and astronomer who programmed the orbits of the planets and the, sky and the, and the, and the comets. And most of all, it proves that Jesus is the promised Messiah because the universe powerfully, unequivocally, and specifically declared that he is the promised Messiah. Let us all bow the knee before Earth's great King, the Messiah. Lord Jesus, we do uh, commit Christmas season into your care and pray that it would be a meaningful one where we feel your power and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed and I want to remind you to come back uh, to G210 at 3.15 today. Uh, Coco in conversation with Colin. Again, chapel credit is offered. An opportunity to interact and dialogue with what we heard today. Uh, be blessed and have a great day. We'll see you back tomorrow.